Welcome you into the eighth season of the show we now know as Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptaw. C70 is bad at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird at Medlock one on Twitter. And joining us to kick off the season, which I think this is the third straight year you've done this, is Jeff Jones from the Bellevue News Democrat and J.M. Jones on Twitter. Jeff, thanks for joining us yet again. Three years to the leadoff, man. I guess that makes me Tommy Edmund, though I have yet to win my first gold glove. Yeah, I, and we won't actually look at the three years that you've done this and, and compared to the years right. of your leadoff because that's uh, probably not going to go well. Yeah, they haven't been great. Yeah, <laughs> oh, 2022 is is going to be better. We're we're guaranteed. We're we're pretty sure about it. This. Can't be not worse allegedly. Uh, allegedly, but you know, times tends to take those bets at times. So let's uh, not challenge it. Yeah. Um. How how are things with you? I mean. What has this winter been like for you, given the state of baseball today? Yeah, uh, it's been quiet for the most part. You know, I, I think that like pretty well everyone else I was expecting. I was expecting roughly what we saw. I was expecting there to be a mm-hmm. rush of free agency running up to the lockout. But then I was expecting December to be uh, entirely a quiet period. And then I was expecting it to right about here and see what the pace from negotiation looks like. So you know, the challenge has obviously been staying on top of, of, of news and, and staying on top of the happenings while we are technically not allowed to talk to people who work for the organization. Uh, players accepted, obviously. So it's been, uh, you know, dealing with those circumstances and then figuring out kind of what spring looks like. Uh, you know, you, you have in your head a vague idea kind of every year of, of what your personal calendar looks like and maybe you're on the first of the year is the time that you need to start series of looking for a place to go for spring training and start planning out what all that looks like. Um, I'm not really doing that yet. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think at this point I'm not expecting that, that spring training is going to start before March 1st. Uh, so I'm thinking we're probably looking at at least, I don't even, I, you know, it's January 15th as we record this. So we're talking about another, Oh, two weeks, three weeks, five weeks of, of I'm expecting quiet around here. So hopefully I'm wrong and hopefully it goes faster than that. Uh, but when I've spoken to folks who, who have been involved in the negotiations to some extent, I, I don't have a lot of optimism that it's moving, you know, quicker than anyone expected, uh, more like at pace, it arguably maybe a little slower, though, depending on who you talk to, this was about what we all should have been counting on. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you factor in how slow baseball can run around, you know, from the last half of December on anyway, in a regular year, maybe it's not too surprising. But, you know, the the fact that just this week was the first time they'd really sat down and talked for a while was it's frustrating, at least from the fan base point of view. It's sure. like we want to see something going on it. And we all know, yeah, you need that wall and, and somebody's got to, you know, be have their back against it before they're actually going to do anything. But, you know, 
even the appearance of meeting would have, have, have helped a little bit more than just, you know, kind of ignoring each other for a, a whole month. Yeah, I, I think that the thing that no one is really, I don't know, well, I, I shouldn't say no one. I think the thing that is hard to wrap heads around is that there is there is at least some chance that ownership believes that they are going to be able to just wait out the players. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that is true, but there is a chance that ownership believes it. And something that I wrote about two years ago, probably at this point, uh, and in fact, I know, I know when it was, it was the summer of 2020 as they were negotiating uh, for the restart after the initial COVID break, is that, you know, the, the number of, of ownership groups who were in control of their organizations when, uh, when, when baseball last lost games to work stoppage. So the owners that were, that had their teams in 94, you're talking about Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, you're talking about the Angelos family, though obviously that was Peter Angelos and not his son, Mark, who's the day-to-day control person of, of the Orioles now. And that's it. Jerry Reinsdorf is the only, you know, MLB has what they call a designated control person, like the owner for every franchise. And Jerry mm-hmm. Reinsdorf is the only one who was still around in 1994. And so when you talk about what institutional memory looks like and, and, and whether, you know, this group of owners can believe that maybe they can do something different from what the last group of owners did, uh, there is something to be said for, you know, I guess the concern that comes from that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You, it's, it's hard to believe that there's people wouldn't know that, I guess, because we as fans, at least some of us still, Alan and I are old enough for sure to remember the 94 strike. So, yeah. uh, and it's one of those things that, oh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the World War One was the war to end all wars. And, and then they have another one soon after that. You think this was the lockout there, the strike and everything that would, it's like, we could never do that again. And yet here we are staring at it a little bit. Now, it, you're right. Would this be, do you think this would be different and maybe even more contentious if they hadn't missed, you know, all of almost all of 2020 and a, a really kind of cut into 2021 financially for the owners? Is that going to push them a little bit more than they would have been if they'd had two solid years? You know, it's hard for me to say because one thing that I, I've, I've heard people say and that I think is an interesting point is that 2020 was in a lot of ways a dress rehearsal for this from the players perspective because if you remember there was a lot of pushback from the commissioner's office and, and from the owners and well okay let's let's play 75 games but we'll only pay you you know 80 percent of what you otherwise would have been paid or or okay well if you're going to keep pushing and eventually got to the point where you know Rob Manfred had to impose a schedule as as per the agreement that they sort of drafted uh, when they you know when 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 they stopped things for COVID and I, I've heard people make the argument and I have a hard time disagreeing that that was instructive for players and as much as it showed that look if we're going to get through this and if we're going to get what we want then we have to have unity we have to have solidarity and ultimately. You know, did the players end up having to accept a 60-game season? They did, but their their core tenant was we will get a day's pay for a day's play. And they did. That, you know, that that's what they ended up getting. They didn't, you know, they didn't play 85 games at 80% salary or, or whatever the numbers were that were being floated around them. They they got paid for the games that they played. So, you know, there is something to be said for the fact that having gone through that may have have calcify this a little bit and the other thing to consider too is 
whether there are, you know, fresh, hard feelings, right? If, if, you know, there was a negotiation that mostly, if not entirely, the same cast of characters on both sides sort of just went through 18 months ago. And if there are any sort of residual hard feelings from that, uh, it's fair to be concerned that those would carry over and spill over into what's going on now. Yeah, um, it's a it's a dicey dicey thing all the way around. So, if you were to you know put on your magic turban and whatever and make a pick of when opening day happens, not just opening, not just spring training, but opening day, when would you pick? Right here today, as we sit here today, I would still say that the season starts on time. I think that they will manage to play the schedule as scheduled. My, my expectation is that spring training will start right around, if I'm correct, I think like the 6th or so of March, and if I was pulling up the calendar, is a Monday. What's that? Yeah, March, so March Monday, March 7th. If I was guessing today a date, I'm going to say Monday, March 7th is Pitchers and Catchers Report Day, uh, which gives them, you know, basically three full weeks plus two, three days plus a weekend, basically, for spring training leading into the regular season, and they'll be able to get off the regular season on time pretty close to what they had for the uh, for the training camps going in to the 2020 season. You know, the, the thing to remember is always that hitters think spring training is way too long. Uh, so half the players already are, are would be content with a much shorter spring training. <laughs> we'll see, I guess, what happens with pitchers and how well, you know, pitchers adapt if there is a shorter spring. But, at, you know, today, as we sit and record this, I, I would still say the season is more likely than not to start on time. Um, if we get to, you know, a month from today, we get to Valentine's Day and there isn't an agreement or something that looks like momentum towards an agreement, then I think it's fair to wonder because, you know, the flip side of that coin, I, I, I say that probably March 7th is the date that I would say right now that I would guess for pitchers and catchers, you probably can't go much later than that and start the season on time because you do have to have three, four weeks of spring training to get guys ramped up and ready to go. Now, you know, can they shift the schedule back and still play 162 if, say, they don't start until April 11th instead of March 33rd? Probably. That's probably doable. So I think that there is still some leeway uh, in, in, in terms of getting a full season in. But that's, you know, that's, I guess, sort of the deadlines, if they are to exist, that I would look at right now. Yeah, that you kind of answered some of my next question with that one of, of how much – there's, there's obviously no pressure on either side, or very little, just because, one, we're in the dead of winter. There's the football playoffs going on and all kinds of stuff, and the the fan, the fans haven't turned on you know, all the negativity that they will as it gets a little bit closer. So there's really not a lot of pressure. Do the, do the players – one of my questions to you was, do the players really care if they get that full spring training in, which you kind of answered. But my next question is, who benefits most from the 162 – and is there any benefit to, or on either side, if they don't play the full schedule? Well, so there's not a benefit, I think, to either side for not playing the full schedule. It's not, it's not good for either side, certainly, if games are lost, especially given what the PR hit would be if that happens. Um, which side needs to play 162 more? I would say the players, right? Because the players are getting paid based on the game's play, getting, getting paid based on the schedule. Um, and as, you know, as, as folks with their heads around kind of how the business of this works, I, I, you know, folks understand that 
owners don't really make their money from games being played, as strange as that sounds. Now, you know, if games start getting canceled and you're talking about givebacks on on TV contracts and, and that sort of loss of revenue, then sure, owners are going to feel it a little bit. But ultimately, from an ownership level, the money is made when the franchise is sold and the value of the franchise goes up fairly consistently whether or not games are being played. Uh, I guess the test case, you know, I, look, if, if they play – 120 game season or 110 game season and there is some massive public backlash do you know do teams take a hit in the value that would be an interesting notion i i don't buy it because i think at this point a lot of teams are more like atlanta and to the cardinal like the cardinals are to some extent where it's a real estate company that has a baseball team as a sideline uh in, in any cases but you know the players the players need to play 162 to get paid bottom line. So it probably means more to them, uh, but it is bad for everyone if the season gets shortened. You're saying that makes me wonder, there's not a spot for like Ballpark Village 3, is there? I mean, are they done around the stadium now? As far as I know, they are. Uh, You know, is there a spot? I mean, sure. Look, there are still parking garages there that they don't own. Uh, you know, you, look, hey, you could always still go south of the stadium, you know, like where patios that and all those bars. Are. I'm sure I'm sure they could find places. Like, frankly, they could buy the I forget what is it, the Millennium Hotel that has the uh, that had the, the abandoned hotel with the rotating restaurant <laughs> on top of the grown out of it. Look, you could always do something. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is the the current ownership group got into the Cardinals for one hundred and fifty million bucks. And a year later, sold off the parking garages for seventy-five million. So that's a net mm-hmm. seventy-five million uh, investment, and into a team, just the franchise of which is now probably worth right around that two billion number. To say nothing of all of the real estate they now own, and the hotel, and the hall of you know the whole bit. So it's been a it's been a pretty good pretty good couple of decades for the ownership group. Judging by that answer. Um... I don't even know if you can give me an answer on this next question, but do you want to see the players maximize this? Well, I, I guess to answer the right way to answer that question is to say, I, I so I guess the answer is yes, um, because okay. the player the players are the players are who define the game and who make the game. And actually, the the column that I've written for this weekend that's going to be published tomorrow uh, is about kind of the interesting week that Harrison Bader had. You know, he shows up and and is a substitute PE teacher at an elementary <laughs> school, and then the next day is named the king of Mardi Gras uh, and sort of spans the gamut and and becomes right like we all remember the Harrison Bader who got the blue jersey slapped on him and dragged out in front of the cameras to be the poster boy for all that and now is coming off a season where he wins his first gold glove established himself as a somewhat reliable offensive player and is you know is maybe rounding into being borderline a star and the team just has to eat it and he you know has this like really interesting pr week that the team can't even acknowledge right <laughs> uh, and, and he, that. to me that, that's a lot no. of the fact that the players are the game the players are what mm-hmm. define the game uh, and the players, frankly, did not get good advice and signed a bad contract yes. when they signed the last CBA. So do I think the players are going to be able to make up five years of ground in one negotiation? I do not. And if they're holding out for that, then we're going to see games missed. But do I think that the players got the short shrift the last time out and are probably owed a little make good? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. So... 
Alan, do you have any more on the lockout stuff? So I may shift gears here. Uh, no, go right ahead. I mean, it's, I, you know, to preface that question, I mean, I'm very pro-union, and I'm kind of digging my heels in to see that hopefully that can cut those arbitration years because that, that's a residual of growing the game is that they can promote the younger stars quicker. That's just where I stand, and that's why I asked the question, honestly. Um, Jeff, how, how far is it until you get Hall of Fame voting? Uh, so this coming year, actually, I've mailed off my check this weekend. This coming year will be my fourth with VBWA card. And so if I make it through uh, six more seasons after this one, I would be eligible for a ballot. So uh, I, I, I actually haven't even done that math. So was that like 23, 4, 5, 6, 7? So after the 2028 season is when, in theory, I would have my first Hall, uh, my, my first hall of Fame ballot. Because um, obviously that's, you know – that's a big topic in it the is. winter, especially when there's nothing else going on. Um, I don't know if you want to even put it out there, but if you had a vote, do you want to talk about what your vote would be? Um, so we can. I will say that it's. I don't. I don't have a good answer to this question, um, primarily because I haven't had to do it, and I know a lot of people put a lot right. of work into it, and I, you know, I want to respect that work, and so depends you know, on who. It depends on who's doing the voting. Feels, Feels cat. Yeah, I, I will. I will say this. I think the argument that I have seen put forward in a couple of places this year, you know, you know especially as pertains to A-Rod, for example, mm-hmm. that there's a distinction between voting for people who have been accused of steroid use or even strongly suspected of steroid use and people who were suspended under the steroid policy. I think that's an interesting distinction uh, and one that I would probably play with. And that, that frankly, that, that does make sense to me. Um, I don't think that, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily a hard line determiner. I do, I do sort of agree. I know Derek Gould has written and said on a number of occasions that he views the, you know, the guidelines that he gets from the hall of fame as, as narrowers, right? So you start with your Mm -hmm. ballot, you get to the guys who you think have the numbers. And if there are 16 or 17, then you use the guidelines as narrowers. I think that makes a decent amount of sense. And so, you know, on the, like, I, and the other, the other thing I would say too is that I don't feel like you have to get to ten if you don't see ten. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, ten is yeah. fine, but I'm not one of the like I'm not one of the hardcore ten all the time type people. I think you know, and, and, and so on this ballot, are there ten? Probably, you know, like there are people that that I, that I think highly of and that 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 you know think a lot about the game that are in the Todd Helton camp, for example. My off-the-cuff mm-hmm. reaction to that is that I is to be a no on Todd Helton, but I could very well be wrong about that, uh, and that that's one that would take some investigating. Same deal with like Bobby Abreu. Off the top of my head, I, Bobby Abreu feels yeah. like a no to mm-hmm. me, but I could be wrong about that. And you know, I, I have always thought that Billy Wagner feels like a no. I've always and, and relatedly, if Wagner's a no, then probably Nathan is a no. But am I wrong? You know, are are there are there enough people in the hall? who, you know, are enough relievers in the hall? Maybe not. So, you know, when I look at, when I look at this year's ballot, I think I, I think I'm, I, well, here, I'll, I'll put, I'll put the easy one up top. I'm a yes on Roland, so I can get those easy points. Uh, I would be a yes on David Ortiz. I would be a yes on Sheffield. Um, there are other things with the other, you know, the other steroid guys that I would have to sort out, right? Like Bonds and Clemens both have, pretty significant um, domestic violence accusations against them that I would have mm-hmm. to consider. Uh, I think, or I, that I, that I think I would have to consider maybe, you know, I, 
I, I, I think I think that I would. Same with Andrew Jones as well. So um, the short, I guess, the short explanation is I don't entirely know what the total would be. I don't know that I would get to ten on this ballot. I definitely see not voting for ten in general. Is there what as as a fellow writer when you see and I don't even know who they were, but do we've seen a couple of people turn in not only blank ballots this year, but blank ballots like two years in a row and, and really questionable, I guess to say, uh, at least from the, from the fans point of view, does that, does that kind of bother you as well? Or is that, you know, you figure that they have a good, good reasons for that. So a blank ballot does not bother me off the cuff as much as it does others. I, I, I do think that is a valid form of voting. I, I think that if you receive a ballot and you think if you legitimately think there are no Hall of Famers on it, then I think it's okay to return a blank ballot. Where I differ, I guess, is that I don't like I don't think that there is any reasonable interpretation of Hall of Fame balloting with this specific group of people mm-hmm. where you get to zero. Like I, that to me doesn't make any sense. I do not. I, I don't. I'm not sure there are ten. I am sure there are more than zero Hall of Famers right. on this ballot. Uh, so that being the case, I do. I guess I would say, in concept, I can understand the logic behind the blank ballot, and I do think it's defensible. In practice, I do not think it's defensible currently with this group of Hall of Famers, and, and nor nor is it likely to be in the future because I have a really hard time imagining any time where there actually are no hall of famers on the ballot. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of what I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you there and I don't know that we need to delve into it more, but it just feels like if you can't find a hall of famer here on this ballot, then I'm not exactly sure what you're looking at. Yeah. So. I, I, it's, I guess the thing to say is that I am not persuaded by the argument that, well, who knows? And so let me throw up my hands and then vote for no one. I think I think that's a cop out. I think that you should, you know, look, spend time, do the work. Other people have done the reporting. You should be able to trust it and, and base your votes accordingly. You're a like you said, four you've just you've still got quite a ways to go. I do. Uh to until you till you get there. But are you looking forward to not only that, but it, I guess maybe the positives and negatives that go along with voting, especially if you release your ballot out in the in the wild. So yeah, I mean, I would say that in, if if I ever got there, I would I would certainly release it, and I would be in favor of everyone being mandated to release it. And again, this is where uh, you know, as as part of as part of being a card holder, I'm obligated to say out loud that VBWA voted overwhelmingly to require mm-hmm. all ballots to be released, and the Hall of Fame uh, is the institution that did not allow that to happen. So the writers wanted all the ballots to be out. So be very clear about that um yeah look, look obviously you know there's the honor and the history that goes along with that is is a big deal and you know i would be lying if i said i hadn't vaguely considered like you know who are who are the players who are likely to be retiring in you know in the next year or two that might be in a situation where they might be on a ballot if i were to get one like if Yadier Molina doesn't get in on the first ballot, there's a decent chance that he would still be on the ballot when I got my first mm-hmm. one. Um, for a while, I thought that Max Scherzer would maybe be the guy, uh, but now looking at it, I'd probably Max Scherzer's going to pitch and make 
$80 million a year until he's 50. So probably not, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be an old hat by then. Uh, is is Justin Verlander going to be the guy, right? Like, you know, is, is Verlander the guy who's going to be like the headliner the first year I have a ballot? Maybe that's a name I've thought about. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's something to consider and something to look forward to. Yeah, at least until you uh, <laughs> until you get all the if Twitter or whatever right, may be yeah, around right, until you get uh, yelled at yeah. for it, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So this should have been winter warm up weekend, um, and the weather is proving that by the, right. the storms that are coming through. Um, if the warm up had come around, and again with the lockout, with the relations to the media, it was going to be very awkward, no matter, but. What would you have been looking for had the winter warm-up happened? Well, uh, I'd have been looking for some food. It's usually hard. <laughs> it's usually hard for us to find food lockout weekend. Uh, I'd have been looking for anything to write about. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd have been looking to to write something other than a 40th anniversary of the '82 World Series story that we're gonna mm. we're gonna read all year long. You know, is right. is all year the only two stories we're gonna talk about? Well, there are three. It's the 40th anniversary of the 82 World Series. It's Wainwright and Molina, and it's Will Arnato opt out at the end of the season are, are the three things that are going to define, uh, I guess, you know, the 2022 experience. Uh, but no, I mean, more seriously, you know, I, I think if, if, there, if there was no lockout, the thing that's always interesting with winter warm-up is just to see who shows up and, like, is in shape and hasn't had a weird injury or anything, like, you know, as far as we know. Um, and and Mosellac was asked this at, at one of the end of the season gatherings. Uh, no one had any like unexpected surgeries or anything at the conclusion of the season. <laughs> like they're gonna everybody check out okay, so there shouldn't be any of that. Um, I'm sure folks will remember. I guess it was. I think it was when we were up 2019 when Justin Williams showed up uh, in a cast from the elbow yeah. down, yeah. and we were all like, uh, "What happened there?" So, you know, that was that was something. That was also the weekend of the Chris Bryant boring St. Louis thing, I believe. That was all that was all happening at once. So I guess, yeah, I guess really what I'm looking for is somebody to go to Cubs convention and make some sort of smart, smart aleck comment that we can all milk really hard for the entire rest of the season. So, you know, if if Frank Schwindel wants to run his mouth off or something, that would be really helpful to those of us trying to fill up inches uh, on a winter warm-up weekend. Yeah, it's it's got to be slightly tough, and again, without having it this week, then. Um, but it would have been interesting. No, you said you're still able to talk to the players. Is that a communication you're trying to have over this winter? You know, try to text them, see if see if they're doing all right. See yeah, yeah. They, you, you know, you, got some new haircut or whatever. That's going to sure. definitely normally oh, yeah, yeah, also yeah, talk yeah. about winter moment. Try to stay in touch. Try to try not to miss out on too much. You don't, you know, you don't want to. You don't want to get too totally shocked, too totally blown over once uh, once once things get underway. So, you know, you at least try to touch base once in a while and then and make sure things are going swimmingly. Obvious, you know, again, players being allowed to talk is is one thing, and, and you know, wanting to talk even under normal circumstances, but certainly under these is is something else. And so, you massage it as best you can. You give people their space and their you know their time off for their holidays and whatnot. Uh, and then you start to ramp it up as we turn into February, and all of a sudden the uh, the back page of the notebook start to get a little more thin, and you're like, "All right, what's uh, what's yeah. going on here?" I'm trying to play a little catch up. You had a really good tweet when Lester made it official that he was going to retire. Is there any stories you can share about a short time here? Um, what are you, so there? Yeah, actually, yeah, there was one. There was one good job. Actually, I have one really good one. There was a start he made, and it was. 
oh, let's see here, because I can tell you when he and I had the second conversation, oh, as I'm, as I'm doing this backward, it was a place where the visitors dugout was on the first base side, so not Cincinnati, <laughs> not Milwaukee, maybe Chicago. It doesn't matter. The point is, Lester had to start at Bush Stadium, but there were other things that happened in that game where he wasn't the first guy in for the Zoom, and there were other like more important things that we had to talk about. His start was pretty in- inconsequential to the outcome of the game. Uh, the way the way the zooms generally work in the post game, we'd all be in the press box with the laptops open, uh, and because the Cardinals did not grant the media permission to record the zooms natively, uh, I guess primarily so we couldn't upload them, so they would have exclusive access to the video and the audio. Unclear. Uh, we all basically just had to sit there with our speakers on volume with our recorders next to our laptops to record the zooms. And so you could always hear when someone came on. And so when a Zoom was over, if you hopped over to work on a story, if you were transcribing or whatnot, you would hear from your computer, a Cardinals PR rep would say, all right, attention media, now we have St. Louis Cardinals, whatever, bop, bop, bop. In this case, I was working on a story and I just had like my window with with the, the, the document kind of over askew to one side with the Zoom to the other side. And I look and I see on the screen, I see John Lester sit down. There's no sound. There's no sound at all coming out of the Zoom window. I see Lester sit down. He's got his red solo cup. I see him stare into the camera. I see him lean to talk to somebody off camera. He looks back at the camera. And then he stands up and the camera shuts off and the Zoom is over. (laughs) So what had happened was that the PR rep who had been in the room with Lester at the time forgot to unmute the microphone. They mute it between everybody, so they you know they forgot to unmute it. So Lester sits down. The PR person, thinking the mic is open, says, "All right, media, St. Louis Cardinals left-hander John Lester. Any questions for Lester? Because we all have to use the raised hand thing at Zoom, and then they call on us. Um, so you know, so in in the room, what what John Lester heard was the PR guy saying, "All right, any questions for John Lester?" And no one raised their hand in the Zoom because no one knew Lester was there because no one could hear him because the Zoom was muted. So Lester, thinking we all just blew him off, goes, well, I guess not, and gets off and takes off. So the next day, or around, whatever, within, within the next couple of days, John's on the field at whatever park. I, it, it, was from, it was from home to a road trip. I should know which park it was. I don't remember off the top of my head. But John's on the field, uh, and he's walking out. It was Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm first base dog on visitor side, Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh, and he's walking up the steps. And I said, hey, John, he kind of turns around and says, yeah. I said, just so you know, the other day when you were in the Zoom, please know that we didn't. Because the thing with the Zoom is that, like, you're conscious about these guys and their time. And you really don't. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not a good look if they bring somebody in and no one asks them any questions. And they just scamper off, like, feel like we made them stick around for nothing. You know, not respectful of their time, not respectful of them. Uh, and, And, you know, so John runs up and I said, hey, just so you know. It was a thing with the Zoom, you know, please know we weren't trying to blow you off. I feel bad about it, blah, blah, blah. He goes, believe me, I'm not that worried if nobody has any questions for me. I said, got it, not a big deal. And Lester just kind of laughed and tipped his cap and off he went. So, you know, he he uh, he understood the score. He was much less concerned about us having potentially been rude and, and wasting his time with the Zoom snafu uh, than I thought that he might have been. He was more than happy to not have had any questions asked of him at all. Yeah. No, go, go ahead, Alex. No, 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 go ahead. I was just laughing about it. Oh, um, in, in regards to that, in regards to Lester, was, did you find him different than you expected to find him 
um, when you got to know him versus, you know, maybe like reputation coming in? Well, so I guess the thing, the thing to say is that folks in Chicago who obviously, you know, we like the, the writers in Chicago, we know very well because we're around them so much during the season. And, and the folks that, you know, that, that I know in Chicago were all big John Lester fans, told us how great he was, told us, you know, he's, he's obviously a good quote, but also really insightful, great in the room. Uh, the interesting dilemma there is that folks who covered the Nationals, who, you know, who we see a lot in spring training, and so you also mm-hmm. get a chance to get pretty close with, uh, folks who cover the Nationals were a little more reticent just in terms of, like, you know, this guy's having a tough year, it's not going well, the Zooms haven't been good. And, you know, you, you look back, like, it's, it, it, some teams are really good about uploading their, their player Zooms to their media websites, and so you could go back and look at some of the video from, like, the Nats press conferences and could kind of see what they were talking about. Uh, that you know things were going bad for Lester. He'd been sick at the start of the start of the year. Had had a thyroid thing that he had to deal with. Was away from his family for basically the entire year, as I understand it. They stayed in Atlanta, where his home is, uh, for the entire season. So he was away from them, which I think was new to him. And you know, I think just didn't have a great time in D.C. Didn't pitch well for the Nationals. The Nationals were a bad team. It was just not a good situation all around, and so. I think the expectation, and frankly, the other thing too, when the Cardinals acquired him, that was not a team going in the right direction. That was a team that was trending badly, and I think there was some concern that he was going to be in a tough spot and a team that was going the wrong direction and was just going to have to eat it. Right? Like we were, we were, I think, sort of expecting some starts where Lester was going to get 14 outs and it was going to take him 134 pitches and it was going to maybe be ugly some days. <laughs> That obviously is not what happened. And so like anyone else, when the circumstances got better and things sort of turned in the right direction, he, you know, opened up, brightened up and, and was great, easy to deal with. And so it's not that I think any of us expected him to be tough or expected him to be a jerk or anything, just sort of knew that the circumstances weren't great uh, and that maybe it would reflect that. And to his credit, that's not what happened at all. Speaking of the Zooms, I mean, it it seems fairly likely, at least right now, in the middle of this huge surge of cases that, at least to start with, you're going to be doing those again in, in 2022. Is there ever going to come a time, or is this becoming the new normal, that they're going to just, the the, the uh, organization is just going to want to do that this way rather than a actual press conference? So there, there are a couple of things that come into play with that. Um, number one... The organizations wanted it in part this year because the TV broadcasts mandated it. The thing to keep in mind uh, about about the Zooms, at least, you know, as we got through like the middle of summer, maybe where the COVID cases were going down and, and people were getting vaccinated and we were allowed to be on the field with no masks, all those things were going on. The broadcasters for the, you know, for the regional networks in most cases still were not traveling. And so without the Zooms, uh, the the rights holders would not have gotten any content at all, uh, you know, un- unless they set up their own special zooms. Which let me tell you, boy, would the players love having to do extra zooms. Uh, you know, <laughs> and that would have gone over great. So that was that was I truly believe part of the calculus was that well, if we just maintain the zooms for forever, then the rights holders get their content and everybody stays happy. Uh, do I think it's ever going to go back to like it was before with, you know, open clubhouse access and anybody with a credential is going to be able to get in for 90 minutes pregame? I don't think that it is. I think that that's probably toast. Um, I think the most likely scenario 
is that it transitions to basically a postseason scenario all the time, where rather than having clubhouse access, what we're going to have is the media room with the table set up and they'll bring in, you know, two or three players pregame, two or three players postgame, and then we'll be able to do business on the field. Uh, the other thing that I have heard batted around as a possibility that I suppose would make some sense, at least from a, uh, at, at least from a, I don't know, logistics standpoint or, or from a, from a spacing standpoint is that the clubhouses might be closed to everyone except for rights holders and BBWA card holders, and there would be no more cameras allowed in clubhouses. Um, riders, obviously, are, are not allowed to use, like, the, the Cardinals are really strict about not even allowing to have our phones out in the clubhouse. Um, riders are not allowed to, you know, to shoot video, to, to, to record things, to be on the phone in the clubhouse. But the rights holders, for example, and also, like, the local TV news stations generally are allowed to enter the clubhouse with camera. That's why, you know, that's why in days of yore, you would turn on the channel two news at five for a pregame. And you would see a shot of Colton Wong or Jose Martinez or whoever else couldn't say no, uh, standing at their locker <laughs> talking about questions for a series. And they, those would be shot in the clubhouse. I think those days are almost certainly gone. Uh, and that stuff is going to be on the field. It's just going to be a question of whether anybody has access to the clubhouse or not. And, I don't know, but I am unfortunately not optimistic. Yeah, I know that it feels like we've talked with probably you and other media folks over the time, and we've seen, you know, discussions as well that the the team is doing, and not just not just the Cardinals, every baseball team is controlling their message more and more. You know, have their have their own website. They have MLB.com, which given how things are going right now is a little bit, it seems a little less than independent. Not, I'm not sliding any of the writers or no, anything, sure. but just the way that it's, it's coming across um, their way of, of getting that message out. And they're going to take advantage of that. Is that really feels like that's what's coming down the pike, isn't it? Yeah. I think, you know, I think there's a question, a, a reasonable question to be asked of, how much do teams want outside media coverage? And when, when I say teams, mm -hmm. I'm talking about like ownership groups and sort of the controlling mechanisms around teams. And do they feel like, look, you know, in, in the case of the Cardinals, do they feel like between Cardinals magazine and Cardinals insider and the videos that they get, do they think they have enough? And maybe they think that they do. And if so, they can, you know, they can feel free to ice out as much as they, as much as they want. And, Believe me when I tell you there have been some really contentious conversations between between the writers um, and leadership around, uh, you know, around the Cardinals. And there there have been some trade offs. There have been some days where, you know, one person, you know, where, where two people should just not be in conversation anymore. And so it shifts to someone else. And there's been a lot of heads being banged against walls. And I just don't know that there is a lot of progress happening there. Which is is disappointing and probably at least somewhat a function of not necessarily needing to be in the paper to get people to come to the ballpark anymore either. Um, I don't, you know, again, media coverage has obviously changed significantly um, over the last 50, 75 years, even if you want to go that far back. But it feels like you're really losing something if you're not, you know, and again, if you want you're going to get, uh, you know, you may get favorable coverage from the stuff that you control, but it feels like you're really pushing to get unfavorable coverage from the things that you don't in that regard. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. I, I strongly agree, obviously. I think, obviously, that there is, <laughs> there is value to independent coverage that exists outside the scope of the team. Um, certainly, there is value to the public for that to exist, but I think also there is value to the team for that to exist, whether or not they necessarily want to see it. Um, the question that they are going to have to ask themselves, and I don't know that we're going to love the answer, is whether, you know, whether or not the upside to that is worth setting aside the actual downside to the potential downside. And I think that in a situation where a lot of teams just see landmines under, you know, under every hill that mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe they don't think it's going to be. So this last year, besides the fact of all the weirdness that went along with it, the dynamic in the, um, press corps uh, around the club changed significantly. You had two new additions to the, to the pool, as it were in uh, Katie Wu and Zach Silver. Yeah. I'm old all of a sudden now. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does it feel not being the, young, the, the, the new guy, the guy that you could actually start bossing people around now? I mean, I don't know about bossing people around. Let me tell you how, how it feels is old when, when all of a sudden <laughs> there, you know, there are two people not quite 10 years younger than me, but eight years younger than me floating on the press box. I'm going, well, this was not supposed to happen there. You know, for a while there was, I think one, I, I actually, I don't know this. I think, I think I'm older than Ben Fred. It's close. He and I, he and I are really close. Um, other, otherwise I, that was it. And now all of a sudden it's like, Holy smokes. Like I don't, all these, all these zoomers with their TikToks. I don't know what I'm doing. here. <laughs> Yeah, you start hanging out with with Hummel more just to feel better. I mean, I would look. I would do that. Believe me, hanging out with Kamish makes me feel better all the time. I would do that. You know, in the way I, I think, I think everybody would. I, everybody would take a chance to hang out with Kamish more often to feel better. No, it's more more to the point where it's like, you know, where it's okay. We're done writing. Who's going out? I'm going. We just it's one thirty. What do you mean? Who's going out? What are we talking about here? I'm going bed. <laughs> I don't. I don't have that gear in me anymore. Yeah, I'm still – I'm excited that you even used those words, though, because I thought the thing was that, – that going out was a thing of the past. And, you know, as uh, as much as that's uh, been a relationship with baseball, I kind of thought those days were done, period. Oh, no. Those days – those days are never done. Man. That's awesome. Yeah. Those days are never done. The, the, the tough one is when you're, you know, when you're in a city where maybe there aren't that many options and you're out and you look across the bar and you go – those are some ball players that I know. Probably time to get on out of here. Those are those are the rough ones. Oh, yeah. What, what you don't know, you can't write about. I, you know, look, it's none of none of my business where Jose Rondon may or may not be after a, after a late night game. Yeah, why would does that not surprise me just by appearance alone? I don't know why. I know that sounds terrible. I think to be fair, I should not hang Jose Rondon out to dry like that because there were other guys there too. But oh, I'm sure, but they're, I'm sure. But, they're, but they're still here and he's not. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fair. You have to deal with the other right, ones. Exactly. So. Uh, I mean, not that anybody's actually going to hear what you say here. So well, you're, you're, you're really saying, yeah, yeah. maybe so. Uh, but. Uh, Anyway, well, I mean, you know, I, I wish we were talking more about the coming team. I mean, we still there still feels like there are pieces that need to be put into place, right? I know you wrote an article about yeah. it this week. Um, what do you think if, you know, is this going to be like a, you know, this thing gets signed and it's like dropping the checkered flag and everybody takes off, you know, on a, another big spree like we saw in November? Yeah, that wouldn't shock me. You know, it's it sort of, and, and I, I could be wrong about this, but for me as a hockey guy, the interesting comparison is like NHL free agency, 
where you're not supposed mm-hmm. to talk to anybody and you're not supposed to have any contracts agreed to until <laughs> uh, you open a free agency. Free agency opens at noon at my 12.05. There's been like nine. I have been in a hurry, huh? Uh, so yeah, would it shock me if a deal got signed and then all of a sudden 45 free agents signed in the next 24 hours? That would not shock me uh, if, if, that's, if that's how it played out. Because the other thing, the other thing too to keep in mind is, as much as we saw, you know, that frenzy toward the toward the the end on December second, who knows how many deals got walked up to the finish line but not quite done that are you know everything but that might get quickly right. rekindled once once the green flag comes down. Yeah, because there was a, there was a, I can't remember who it was now, but there was one reliever deal right that was that looked like it was final and then the physical didn't get done in time and so yeah there were a couple i know like Nick martinez for example coming yeah. back from japan had an i forget even now with who i know it wasn't the cardinals he was a guy i had my eye on but he had an agreement with somebody that didn't get done. so there were there were a couple of those yeah yeah so that would be interesting do you i mean what do you think the cardinals do in that span i mean i know you've talked about what they kind of need to do but what do you think they actually maybe will do i think they i think they will sign a righty reliever uh, you know, of that, of that Tapera, maybe Archie Bradley, maybe Joe Kelly, somewhere in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, a guy who, a, a replacement for Luis Garcia, basically, is, is, yeah. is what, is who I think that they will definitely sign. Uh, I'm very curious to see what they do in terms of a lefty bat potentially for the bench, because I think that obviously, that obviously is a need, um, you know. As we sit today with the players they have in the organization currently, there probably isn't a lot in the way of of Nolan Gorman making the team out of spring training. Frankly, the only thing mm-hmm. to me that would be in the way today of Nolan Gorman making the team out of spring training is Brendan Donovan. Uh, and so, you know, if that is the case, you would think they would see that as an opportunity to add a veteran left-hander who they could trust uh, to have a little more thump, to be what Matt Carpenter was supposed to be for the last two years and actually offer that kind of threat off, off, off the bench or as a DH, probably most probably more likely. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I think, look to me, the guy that fits that to an absolute exclamation point T is Kyle Schwarber. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that they're going to spend a hundred million dollars on Kyle Schwarber. I am not convinced that they are going to do that. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily super likely, but you know, a, a diet version of that for would, would be a player I think that they would definitely uh, be be somewhat likely to pursue. And then again, then you know, we're talking about like the swingman types, right? I, it's a question of I, I don't think Jake Woodford has anything left that he needs to do at Memphis. I think he was really good the last month and a half or so of the season uh, coming down the stretch. And I think that when you sort of look at what the organizational depth looks like starting wise, you know, if they're going to go into next year. With with Alex Reyes, for example, maybe not in the rotation, not in, not as the closer, but as that fourth, fifth, sixth higher leverage spot guy. If they're going to go in with Jordan Hicks as that guy, assuming Hicks is healthy, and who knows, uh, you know, who knows about Helsley? You you can count the arms, and you can see where they can get by. Obviously, the thing that we learned last season, and the thing that we should always know, is that you can never have enough pitching, and you can especially never have enough pitching when you're coming off a short COVID season and then a weird rebound COVID season. And then this year into a season that's probably going to have a shorter spring training, you are going to need arms because guys are going to wear out and break down. And, and besides the question marks that come with this rotation anyway, I mean, um, you know, with Michaelis um, still 
you know, I'm still not sure exactly what we're, we're, what his future looks like. And then as much as we love Wainwright and there's no necessarily expectation that he will be significantly different, he will be 40 years old. Um, and then, you know, the, the others that there always seems to be something that could go along. So you're right. You got to have as many arms as possible. And yeah. it feels like that's something they've learned. When you, when you look at the five man rotation, it's Wainwright who is great. And you should count on him to be great. But if he ever is going to not be great, it's going to happen fast, unfortunately. Uh, so, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of net underneath there. Uh, you're talking about Flaherty, who's coming off the tough season he had last season. You're talking about Dakota Hudson coming off Tommy John surgery and looked great. I mean, looked exactly like Dakota Hudson when he came back. Just, just not even a speed bump. So, you know, maybe you count on that. You're talking about Michaelis, who rounded into form, it seemed like to me, when he was back. And then you're talking about Steven Matz, who, look, as much as everyone talks about Matz being injury-prone, and he was early in his career, he has recently been a really reliable starter. But on a good team, he's probably a four. And Michaelis is probably a four. And you know what? If that's the case, and Flaherty is a one, and you have a two, you have a two and a three between Hudson and Wainwright, and certainly that seems very reasonable. You see where the rotation is, but that's look, that's five. They used thirteen starters last season, and I believe seven of them are no longer in the organization. So you're going to have to find starts somewhere. You you mentioned Reyes and and uh, Hicks especially and the organizations talked about making them starters. Um, how would, if, if they could even do that, and I, I figure it's more of putting them on a starter rotation so they could pitch for your more innings, but neither one of these guys has pitched a whole lot over the past two or three years. And Alex Reyes's case is whole basically his whole career. I mean, what would the expectation be for those guys if they did wind up in a starting role at some point in time? So I, there's, for, for me, there's a difference between the two because Reyes at this mm-hmm. point has been healthy for two years, which, look, that doesn't sound like a lot, but for him, that's a big deal. He's been healthy now for right. two years. Running. He just hasn't had a lot of innings. Right, doesn't have a lot of innings. And when we have seen, I think I think it's fair to say that we saw last year some of the effects of, of fatigue, maybe wearing on Alex Reyes a little bit. And, you know, it's one of those things that, no one likes to say out loud because of course your team could never have been a team that was doing it. But we also saw how some of the spin rate stuff changed for Alex Reyes last year uh, toward the end of the season. So, you know, draw your own conclusions, I guess. And so there is a, you know, the thing with Reyes was always control, control and command. And so right. he, he can't start if he walks five per nine, he just, he just can't, he, that's not going to work. The pitch count doesn't got, isn't going to add up. Uh, if he can sort that out and the command is there and he can find it and it really was a matter of he just hasn't had enough touches to have that command in the last couple of years, then maybe he's there and maybe he is the pitcher they thought he was going to be, uh, you know, five, eight years ago. And he's he's everything that you could ever want. And I hope so, because Alex is great uh, and and has just such an immense amount of talent that I would love to see him put it together and really be the pitcher he was sort of, you know, destined to be with Hicks. I, you know, I don't know, man. I, the expectations, my expectations for Jordan Hicks are zero. If Jordan Hicks mm. pitches in the big leagues next season, great. But I, I don't know. How can you know? It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's going on. He'll be three years removed from Tommy John this, uh, this summer and has not really made significant strides since he's had it. And obviously they put him through rehab and they put him through all the medical stuff and they say he's cleared. 
and fine, but there was never really any explanation offered for the injury that he suffered last season. And believe me when I say it was asked and asked and asked about. And there was just really no explanation because I think, honestly, I think the Cardinals don't know. I think that he just didn't have strength, didn't have the ability to bounce back, just didn't feel right. And if that's the case, two years out from Tommy John, then that's a problem. And, you know, for all that in, in the minds, I think, of baseball fans, Tommy John is, is, is thought of as this, like, magic bullet. And, and you know, we all know the numbers that more than 90% of guys who get it now bounce back and resume their careers. Okay, but what about the other guys don't bounce back and don't ever make it back? And am I saying that Jordan Hicks will never make it? I'm not saying that because I don't know. But I think at this point, you anything you get from Jordan Hicks, you have to count as a bonus. And I think if you go if, if the Cardinals go into next season counting on Jordan Hicks to give them anything, they are making a mistake. I assume that his short stint in Arizona after the season kind of rose a, a few more red flags for you. It did. Again, they say that that was always the plan, but that was not the plan that was advertised. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Who knows? Because the other thing, the other thing that is a part of this is that I think, I, you know, and I, I should say, I know and it's been reported that there has been friction between Hicks's people and the team in terms of his rehab and his strength and how he feels. And they, you know, they haven't always agreed and have not always seen eye to eye on his treatment. And so if that's the case and if Jordan is feeling a certain way but the team doesn't see it, you know, is that an issue? I don't know. I just it's it's unfortunate and it's it's really disappointing considering, you know, what we've all seen him do and what we know he can do when he's healthy. I just I don't I don't he has to be in he for me now, I guess the way to put it is he for me is in the place where Alex Reyes was in 2019, 2020, where it's like you have to show me now. Like it's been it's been long enough, it's been significant enough that you have to show me that it it won't happen again because I don't there's no, there's no way that from a team perspective that they can trust that he can contribute. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all makes a lot of sense. Um, Alan, you got anything else for Jeff? Yeah. One qu- yeah. Last question for me. Um, I know that we talked about maybe some of the money that will be spent outside the organization. Do you see anybody uh, signing extensions this off season? I know it's kind of tough to tell right now, but they usually do one. I don't know if that uh, is off the radar this year considering the, the CBA and whatnot, but, but what yeah, do you think? Hard, yeah. It's really hard to know without knowing what the, uh, what, with, without knowing what the CBA stuff looks like. I, I would say, I guess if I were to, if I were to, if I were to guess, you know, who are, who are the guys that you would see maybe be in that discussion for significant extensions in spring training. Um, Tyler O'Neill is name number one on that list. I think, I think that they've seen, proof of concept now from Tyler and and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they want to see, you know, maybe they want to make sure he's not going to hit 185 this year, but I think he was just such a dynamic player last season. Finally put it all together. Really was the guy they thought he could be that he he's a name that I think you keep in mind. And the other one is Dakota Hudson. I think, I think if you were to really get the truth out of Mosaic, he would say that he expects Flaherty to walk and that they hope they can hold on to Hudson and so I think they would, it would not be unreasonable to see them uh, maybe approach Hudson in that way, where for a guy who's pre-arb, I think he is arb one next winter, if I'm right. I, I believe next winter. Uh, again, that's current CBA, so who knows what it looks like. Right. But under, under I should say the old rules. Under the old rules, um, Hudson would be arb one next winter, I believe. And that being the case, 
you know, could you see him signing some deal that buys up, say, three arbitration years and two, three free agent years at a significant number? I, I think, yes, you could see that. All right. Well, Jeff, we appreciate you taking your time out of, uh, of a cold weekend to talk a little bit of baseball with us. Um, anything that you want to you want to mention or promote or talk about before we wrap tonight? Oh, I mean, I wish the answer was yes. Uh, no, good. Check out the Bevel News Democrat. It's bnd.com. My stuff is all there. Uh, you said you'll have a, you'll see a story, uh, you know, su- Sunday the 16th will be a, you know, a column for me about the week that Harrison Bader had and, and the illustration of, of why it's a missed opportunity for the teams and why it's a missed opportunity for the league to be dealing with a winner like this. So uh, keep it dialed in there. The, uh, the, work, the work will continue even if the baseball doesn't. That's right. And you can always find Jeff on Twitter, uh, which is uh, a good place to, to, to interact with him. I, I, you know, one of the, one of the top Twitter accounts, I I forgot exactly where you finished this year. 15th. I finished 15th this year. It was very exciting. Yeah. So top, top 25. I think that's pretty much where you're always at. So, uh, quality stuff. So, uh, Thanks for Jeff for joining us. Uh, Alan and I'll be with back with you next week. Uh, we'll also have another guest with us next week as well. And maybe we'll have something more baseball-ish to talk about, although I don't know if that it's the case. Um, but until then, for Alan, I'm Daniel. Night. Good night.